Well, has anyone here ever been busy? I don't know about you, but uh, it seems like the longer we live, the busier our lives become. And uh, we have to be very intentional, in fact, about not overcommitting, about having boundaries and such things. One of my favorite stories is a story of a professor on a train. And this professor was sort of nonchalantly riding along, speeding to his destination in the train when the conductor came along and asked him for his ticket. The professor began searching in his pockets for his ticket. And he searched at first one pocket and then another and then another, and he could not find his ticket. He became more and more frantic and more and more desperate as he looked for his ticket. The conductor was trying to calm him down. Look, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll find your ticket. I'm sure it's going to be okay. And the professor said, look, you don't understand. If I don't find my ticket, I'm not going to know where to get off of this train. <laughs> and the reality is that many of us are like that professor, right? We are so busy. We're doing so many things. We don't even know exactly... What we're doing, but we're busy. We're just in a hurry, always in a hurry, always going somewhere, but not always knowing where we're going. I remember, this is sort of an embarrassing story, but um, I was, a number of years ago, um, before I was pastor here, I was, um, I was traveling a fair bit, and I, w- I lived about 100 miles from the airport that I usually flew out of, and... Um, I, I, flew out of, I flew out at least once a week, average. Um, I flew a lot. I, I traveled a lot. And so I, I, I made that trip back and forth to the airport till I could do it in my sleep. The problem is I was, always, I was always getting a little delayed before leaving for the airport. You know how that is? And, you know, when you, tra- when you do things a lot, it becomes ordinary and mundane, right? You don't, you don't think much about it. It's just sort of part of your job, part of your work, you know? And so uh, my bags were always packed, and I was always ready to go. But, you know, you plan just enough time to make it to the airport, and it was a small airport, so I could, you know, plan 40 minutes or so would be enough to get to my gate and through security. And those days they had a, they had a service called Clear, where you actually, I actually had, like, my biometrics, like, they scan your iris when you go through the security, and you don't have to wait in line, and you go on through. And, and so I, I, it was predictable. I knew how long security was going to be, but... The problem is, I would, I would wait until the last minute to leave. It was 100 miles, most of a freeway. I would, I would plan on leaving, or usually I knew I had to leave by two hours before my flight. So you can do the math. I would be there just about a half hour to 40 minutes before my flight. And then something would happen. The phone would ring. You'd get in a, a conversation, some crisis and you get delayed 10 minutes. Now that 10 minutes is your flight. And so I formed a habit of driving faster to the airport than I probably should have been driving. It was just something I did. Now, the first little ways was on a two-lane highway where there was almost no traffic and there was never any speed traps. The county didn't write tickets, state troopers were never there. And I just got in a habit of driving too fast down this road. Well, one day, I actually was going to go shopping a little bit before my flight, and I left 
about four hours before my flight, plenty of time. But my habit was to drive fast. And I came over a hill, came over a hill, and there I saw him, and he saw me. And I knew there was no disguising the fact that I was going over the speed limit. So I hit my brakes as hard as I could. And sure enough, before I even reached him, he was turning around. His lights were on. He pulled me over. And when he came to my window, he said, What's the hurry? And I almost said, It's just my habit. But I caught myself. <laughs> and I said, you know, I, I just, I, there's no hurry. I just wasn't watching my speed, which is honestly the truth. I was, was just mindlessly doing what I did over and over. You know, habits catch you, don't they? Yeah, that's why it's important to form good habits. And he told me, he said, he said you know, I don't, I'm going somewhere, so you're lucky. And I'm thinking, yeah, right, you must not have a ticket pad in, in your car or I'd be having a ticket. But um, he said, but I'm out here every day, and you're local, so I'm going to catch you. So you better slow down. And I appreciated that warning. I never saw him before, never saw him since. But um, nevertheless, I was thankful that I didn't get a ticket. The point is, we're in a habit of being busy, right? We don't even know how to act when we have extra time. We're in such a hurry that we become frenetic, we become anxious, we just we have to be driven. That's the world we live in. It's an anxious, driven, fast-paced world. And it seems as though that is just a part of our very being, of who we are. And yet, I, I have to believe that God, who knows the future, looked forward down to the year 2013, and he saw the world in 2013, and he had to have known that it would be a busy time, don't you think? He had to have known that we would have hectic lives and, and frantic paces. And in because of this, he has a message for this world, a message for the world in the last days, an end-time message, and we're going to look at a part of that end-time message here today. We find it in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7, and what does it say? Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water. Now, this is a message. If you studied Revelation chapter 14, this is a message especially calculated for the end-time population of the world, especially calculated, especially directed to a people who are busy, a people who, are, who have complicated lives. You know, the more they, they say they're going to simplify things, the more they say technology is going to help us, it seems the more it just makes us busy, right? And this is a message especially directed for us living today. Now, who are we to worship? It says to worship Him that made. Worship the Creator. Worship the One who created us, who made us. And so that reminds us back of the story in the beginning. And so let's just review very quickly what we find in Genesis chapter 1. We're not going to read all these verses, but we remember that on the first day, God made what? God made light. On the second day, God divided the firmament. He, he divided the, the water which is above, the Bible says, from the water which is beneath. And on um, the third day, He made what? 
dry land. He made dry land. The fourth day, the Bible records that he made the sun, the moon, and the stars, the, uh, the uh, celestial bodies that we see in the heavens above us. On the sixth day, of course, God, or on the fifth day, God made the fish and the birds, right? The things that, uh, the creatures that inhabit the water, the creatures that inhabit the air, and the sixth day, the special day, God made what? God made everything that dwells on land, including, of course, mankind. Aren't you glad that we serve a loving Creator God who cares about our needs, who made everything just as was needed? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. I love this verse. It says, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing. You see, God created man in whose image? In his own image. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Now, how was, God, how, how was man created? In the image of God. What is the image of God? And you remember, we've talked about this some in previous uh, discussions we've had together. God is not just a physical being. He is not just a spiritual being. He is a complete being, right? He is a, a physical, spiritual, emotional, social being. He has an intelligence that's not just intellectual, it's also emotional. It's, he's, he's a whole being. And God made us as whole beings, right? We're not just a body. We're not just a mind. We are, we're, and we're not just designed to be independent atoms. We're designed to be interconnected with others and interconnected with God. That's the way God made us. That's how God created us in His image. And so we, we see that mankind was made in the image of God, made with these capacities for understanding and for fellowshipping and for worshiping and having relationships. And yet today we see that mankind is living busier and busier lives with more and more things but less and less purpose and meaning. I remember the story of a young boy who was sitting in, in wearing dirty clothes in a train station. And a, a pastor happened to be going through that train station. He saw this little boy over there, and he said he, he decided he would stop and talk to him. And so he, he came over to this little boy, and he said, Tell me, son. And he said, Why are you here? Well, he made some excuse for why he was at the train station. He said, no, no, not why are you at the train station, but why, why do you exist? Well, the little kid hadn't really thought about that too much. And he, he paused for a minute and he gave it some thought and he said, well, I suppose, I suppose I just happened to be born. Well, not a bad answer. Um, and he said, but why else? Is there any other reason that you're here? The kid had some, you know, he was pretty philosophical, actually. He's thought for a little while longer, and he thought, well, I suppose I just, I'm here because I was born and because I haven't died. You know? I mean, makes sense to me. Um, well, why were you born? I don't know. Why, why haven't you died? I don't know. I guess I just haven't happened to die. And the preacher said to the little boy, he said, do you mean to tell me that you think your life is just an accident? Suspended between an accident of birth and the accident of death? Is that all the meaning and purpose there is in life? 
The good news, friends, is that while some people believe that life is just an accident, that it has happened to be, that it is just, you know, circumstances came about in the right way and, and we're here because of them, the good news is the Bible reveals something very, very different. The good news is the Bible reveals that our lives, your life, my life, is not an accident. It is the purposeful, loving, uh, not experiment, but purposeful, loving work, handiwork of a God who brought us into existence and who sustains our existence. A God who formed man out of the dust of, his, uh, dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. A God who the Bible says Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made with, by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him we live and move and have our being. Jesus is the purpose for our existence in the beginning. He's the purpose for our sustained existence now. We have purpose in our lives. Because there's a God. I'm so thankful we know that our life is not an accident suspended between the accidents of birth and of death. But the Bible tells us that we are the creation of a loving God. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Knowing we are the creation of a loving God gives us meaning and purpose. I can stand erect and stand tall and, and know that I can face the day with something other than just resignation or defeat. I can, I can know that the God that I serve has a purpose for my existence. When you awoke this morning, it was because God awakened you. His mercies are renewed every morning, the Bible tells us. And so when our eyelids popped open, it was because of a loving God who cares, a loving God who gave us the gift of life, a loving God who gives us this life for the purpose of knowing Him better and of receiving eternal life. That's a whole other discussion in itself. We are not an accident. We are not left in this universe alone. We have a loving God who cares about our needs, our wants, our problems, our joys, A God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. That's the message of the Bible, and that's a good message. And as we continue on the story of creation, we find that this just gets better. Not only does God create us in His image, but He has a purposeful, intentional plan to develop and to build and to to continue a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? Not just a God who cares but God who cares enough to spend time with us. Anyone here have the love language quality time? You just love it when people spend time with you and undivided attention, you know, not, not doing something on their smartphone, not watching television, but actually quality time. You feel loved? Yes, we have, that's one of the ways that we communicate love. It's one of the love languages. That's, um, that's another topic that you can, maybe you can see Kathy and John about the... Um, <laughs> family enrichment. But um, quality time. God says, I want to spend quality time. How's that going to happen? He knew. He knew there was more work than could ever be done. He knew that no matter what job or career we follow, there's probably going to be so much to do that we can never fit it all into our schedule. And so he said, there's one way I'm going to spend quality time with my people. And that's if I create time. 
He's created everything already. Six days, man, his crowning act is finished. Adam and Eve are there in the garden. They're naming the creatures. And God could have just said it's a perfect world. Everything that he said was saw was very good, right? But there was something he was going to do to make it better. He was going to give them the gift of time. Oh, what a precious gift. What a precious gift time is. What a precious gift. And so the Bible says... In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God did what? God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. You know, there were times in history where, where people decided that God's plan was not adequate or perfect. There were times when they decided that, it, you know, it would make more sense if we didn't have a work week of seven days. Have you ever read some of those accounts? This happened during, um, at times during the Soviet Union under communism when they said there is no God. This happened at times during Hitler's Germany. They experimented with having a ten-day week, so that they worked nine days and take one day off. And um, people went insane. People could not handle it. But there's one thing I want you to realize. There is no explanation for why every culture, virtually every culture in the world, no matter how primitive, no matter what ethnicity, virtually every culture in the world has a seven-day cycle, a weekly cycle, seven-day week. And it's simply because there's, no, there's nothing in the sky, nothing in the heavens, nothing in the, nothing in the planets, nothing in the cycles of nature, at least not obvious. It's because God made a seventh day. By doing nothing, he did something. Isn't that wonderful? I wish I could have that kind of efficiency. By doing nothing, he did something. He actually made a day by doing nothing, by resting. The Bible says God rested, and in doing so, he created the seventh day. Otherwise, the cultures of the world would surely have a six-day week, right? That's just, that's just what... I don't know if we'd have any week at all, actually, because the whole cycle of the week is anchored in the one day that was different from the rest. That's what resets the week and what resets us. And that's the gift that God gave. He rested on the seventh day and blessed it and sanctified it. And it says, because he had rested from all his work, which he had made. The Sabbath was not just another day of creation week. Clearly, Jesus set it aside as different from the others. Does your Bible say that? God blessed it, didn't he? He blessed it. He sanctified it. And sanctified simply means to be set apart for a holy use. Sanctified means to be set aside for a holy use. Only a holy God can make something holy. And you know, I remember I used to, I grew up in Arkansas, okay? And um, uh, you, you know, where you're from, you're usually partial to, right? And um, even though I was born in, in Southern California, most of my life, I, or young life, I lived in Arkansas. And I thought Arkansas was just the prettiest place ever, you know? It was just the nicest state. And um, we would go to another state, I remember, where there were anti-littering signs on the road. And this state, this, I won't name the state in case somebody's here from there. I mean, it was just, this is just childish memories, okay? So forgive me. But this, the, 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 the anti-littering signs on the side of the road would say, keep, and then the name of the state... Beautiful. No littering. Right? Keep the state beautiful. No littering. 
And I always, as a kid, I'd read those signs and I'd say, this is the ugliest state ever. Like, you can't keep something beautiful that's not beautiful to begin with, right? These signs made no sense to me. I was like, keep beautiful? Like, you can't keep something beautiful if it's not beautiful. You get the point? You can't keep something holy if it's not holy to begin with, right? It's impossible to keep a day holy which isn't already holy. You, that's, just, that's, just the, that's just common sense. That's the way the language works. And so um, when God sets a, a, a day aside, when he makes it holy, it's so that we can keep it holy. If he hadn't done that, there's no way we could, we could do that. Now, I want to illustrate this a little different way, perhaps. Um, some of you... <laughs> oh, come on. Um, some of you know that I am a newlywed. And um, very happily married, almost two years, um, next month. And um, I'm making Jane blush over there, so nobody stare. Um, But two years ago, we had a wedding celebration, which I believe is, besides the Sabbath, marriage is the one gift that God gave to man all the way back in the garden before sin, that we still have today. Wonderful, wonderful gift. And um, in, in, as such, it's not just a human, you know, a, a human ceremony. This is a divine ceremony. God performed the first wedding. Amen? He brought two lives together. He created Adam and Eve for each other. He brought Jane and I together. And so there's, there's, there's something divine about a wedding. There's something divine about marriage. It is a... Not a human institution, but a divine institution. And in fact, when we are married, we, we confess, we make vows to one another to, to uh, forsaking all others, be faithful just to that one special one for whom God has, um, has set us aside and we have chosen to unite our lives together in. Now, my wedding day was the day in which I believe... Our relationship was, was um, sanctified. It was, it was uh, divinely stamped, you might say. And Jane became my wife. Now, what if I were to say, you know, um, there, were, there were seven other pretty girls there. They were part of the wedding too, you know. Um, didn't God make them too? Could I just, after the wedding, after the reception, could I just say, hmm, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, which one am I going to take on my honeymoon tonight? Could I do that? Why not? Only one of them had been set aside for me, right? Only one of them had been sanctified by God, and because I believe this is a divine, uh, divine uh, ceremony in marriage, that God actually uh, is the founder of our home. And one, just one out of the eight wouldn't be good enough. No, it was the one that God had especially, uh, had especially given to me. And so our lives were, are, were blended together. God had set aside one of those beautiful young ladies for me. And the same God of love has set aside one day in seven. For us, amen. amen. One day he said, I've blessed it, I've made it holy, I've sanctified it.
Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And so in a special way, Jesus considers the Sabbath his day. Notice what he said in Mark chapter 2, 27 and 28. The Sabbath was made for who? Isn't it wonderful that God cares for us? Enough to give us such a gift of rest, of time. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Notice he doesn't say he was made for just Jesus. It doesn't say it was just made for one race or ethnicity. It doesn't say it was made for just a particular period of time. It was made for man. Therefore, he says, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. It's his special day in a special way. Third John chapter 2, uh, the apostle says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. Remember last month in our We Believe weekend, we talked about what it means to find lasting success, right? That's what God wants. God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be prosperous. He wants us to be successful. And one of the ways that He has given us this, um, this, one of the ways that He gives us an advantage is by giving us the Sabbath of rest. Notice He says in John 10 and verse 10, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. There are some people who look up the Sabbath as if it were some sort of a restriction, as if God was saying, you can only do this. You can only work six days, and that seventh day you can't work. And the commandment does say that, friends, but the point is, that's not a restriction, that's a blessing, right? That's not God trying to keep us back from something good, it's God trying to give us something better. Everything that we try to hold on to at at, at disobedience to the commandments of God is actually harmful for us. And those things that God asks us to give up, it's only for our best good to give them up. Because he has something better for us. And he says, I have come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. That it may be well with you, as we talked about last month. That it may be well with you. The commandments are given for our blessing, for our enjoyment, for our prosperity. Man is doing the greatest injury and injustice to himself when he thinks and acts contrary to the will of his creator. God himself took a personal interest in our creation, making us in his own image. And he made us not just a physical animal, but a physical, spiritual, social, and emotional being. Some might say they don't have those social or emotional or or spiritual needs. I can just work every day. I don't need friends. I don't need to spend time fellowshipping. I don't need to spend time resting, whatever it is. But whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, whether we uh, like it or loathe it, we cannot change the way we were made. We were made in His image. And He is a spiritual being. To deny that would be, well, I think it might be some sort of blasphemy. To deny that God is a spiritual God. And we are made in His image. He knows what is best for us and how we can be made the happiest. Everything that He has made, all of His blessings, are calculated for our very highest success and happiness. And so the Bible tells me that this seventh day of the week is not just ordinary time, it is blessed time. Now this raises the question, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? And blessed for what? Blessed for what? Tonight I'm not, or today I'm not going to try to, to prove to you the, 
the Seventh-day Sabbath. No, I think that's, that's pretty obvious in Scripture. I'm going to try to show with you briefly in a few minutes what some of the deeper meaning is and how we can enjoy it and appreciate and why it's a special gift to mankind that God wants us to keep holy. We remember that God says He blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Whatever the Sabbath hours are blessed for, we would assume that it is a holy use, right? Because it was blessed and sanctified, which means to be set apart for a holy use. It was given to man at creation, and we already read that before, it was, before there was sin. So if you wanted to keep the Sabbath as a means of salvation, you're going to be very disappointed. It has nothing to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with you earning any merit with God or nothing at all. It was a gift before there was sin, before there was a need for salvation, right? And so obey, obeying it is, is not involved with our earning salvation. It was also reminded to the Jews when they first became a nation, as they left Egypt, and they were reminded of this special day. We notice in Exodus chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall gather a quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, you remember, when he says that they, whether they'll walk in my law at not, or not, this was spoken before the Ten Commandments were ever given, right? That come, they come later in Exodus chapter 20. But even though they had not yet been written on the tables of stone, the Ten Commandments were already in effect because God's law is always in effect. It's the principles of His government. It's, it's the foundation of who He is. It's, it's principles that don't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even though the Ten Commandments didn't exist as Ten Commandments, Written in the tables of stone, God is going to test His people. And uh, the bread here spoken of was commonly referred to as manna. Notice it says, And on the sixth day, that they, it shall be on the sixth day, that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. I'm not sure what all God was trying to, to accomplish by giving manna. Obviously, He was trying to feed His people. But I think He was also trying to teach them to get up early in the morning. Um... Have you noticed the fact that left to ourselves, we'll sleep in later and later and stay up later and later? <laughs> That's just sort of the way human nature works, I guess. I don't know. And they've had 400 years of slavery. The, the Israelites need to learn some self-determination and some ambition and some drive. And so, so he gives them food if they'll get up early enough to get it. <laughs> because once the sun comes up and gets hot, the food was gone. Remember that? And they couldn't just hoard it all one day and then sleep in the rest of the week. Because what happened to the food that was taken extra? It, was tur- it, it turned rotten and had worms in it the next morning. That's right. And, uh, but God would work a miracle on the sixth day. The sixth day, he told them, gather twice as much. Gather twice as much. All week it's not worked. But on the sixth day, gather twice as much. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two homers for each one. All the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And so here they are getting their food and and getting getting the, the manna. And God is preparing it for them. And then he said, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil today and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until the morning. But Moses, it doesn't last overnight. We tried that Monday. We tried that Tuesday. Somebody tried it, I'm sure, every day, right? 
And um, some of us just can't learn from other people's mistakes. You know, we're just that way. We have to do it ourselves. And so we've tried it. It's not, it's not working. God said to do it. We'll do it. And what happened? Uh, Moses said, eat that today, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will be none. And so God gave this miracle every week. Every week he, cre- he performed a miracle. Well, it was a miracle for the man to be there in the first place, wasn't it? Um, it was a miracle, I suppose, for it to rot overnight, which food doesn't usually rot overnight. But it was a miracle that it would not rot on Friday night. And on the Sabbath, they didn't have to go out. Why? What was God trying to teach the Israelites? The Sabbath hours are blessed hours. We agree that, right? What are they blessed for? Evidently, they're blessed for something better than the ordinary working and preparing of our food. Do you realize that? I mean, there's, there's nothing... I mean, you can do that on Sabbath. But the Sabbath hours aren't blessed for that. You can do those any others just as, day, just as easily any other, day, any other day of the week. There's something better for us to do on the Sabbath. The Bible says, and this is just a few chapters later in, in um, Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Keep it how? The Sabbath hours are blessed for a, what kind of use? A holy use. Now, let me just try to make this simple for you. If I were to say... Let me try to, try, to, try to put this in a way that will be understandable. Um, I sometimes speak in um, parables that I don't understand myself, so I try to make it, try to make it applicable here. Um, suppose I were your boss, and I were to tell you, you know what? Um, I will pay you twice your normal hourly pay between the hours of four, or between three and five in the afternoon, if you will, during those hours, answer my emails. What would you do? Would you wait until three o'clock to go to the post office? Or would you make sure you got the post office run done before three o'clock? You understand what I'm trying to say? Would you wait till 3 o'clock and take a lunch break? Or take a, you know, work on cleaning or something else? Or would you say, I'm going to get everything that I can do during the other hours done so that I don't have to do them during the 3 to 5 hours because I get paid double for answering emails during that time. In essence, what I've done is I've blessed those hours for what? Answering emails. Now, could you go to the post office during those hours? Yes, you could. But would you get paid double? No. What I'm, does that make sense to you? What God has said is that there are 168 hours in the week. 24 of them I've blessed. If you want to get as much blessing from them, do what they're blessed for during those times, and get as much of the other stuff that you don't need or that you can do any other hours done in the other 144 hours of the week. It's just that simple. There is no better time, and I've tasted it, I've seen it, and I've heard many testify of this. There's no better time to spend time with Jesus than on the hours that he blessed. 
you will get a better blessing studying the Bible on his hours than any other time. You'll have a bigger blessing with family life during those times. I'm not saying that. He said that. They're blessed hours. And they're blessed for a holy use. He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, made it holy. If we missed it in Genesis 2... We certainly can't miss it here, right? This is a historical fact. God rested on the seventh day and he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy and he asks us to remember it, to keep it holy because it's his special gift to us. So what is the Sabbath blessed for? Evidently, according to the fourth commandment, the Sabbath is blessed for something better than ordinary work. Work can be done anytime. We have 144 other hours in a week that are just as good for work. But these 24 hours are the most productive for something else. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. Evidently, the seventh day we're not to. In it you shall do no work. The commandment is very clear. God rested the seventh day, evidently. Catch this. Evidently, the Sabbath is also blessed for rest. Oh, do we need rest today? I need rest. The Sabbath is blessed. Blessed time for resting. It's blessed for spending time simply decompressing, unwinding, allowing God to reconnect us with Him in a special way and us with our loved ones. That's what the Sabbath is for. Hours that are specially blessed for the use with the things of God. The one who made us knew we needed rest in our hectic life. He made us to benefit from downtime. Some might say, I'm not tired. Why would I need rest? And I would, I would simply ask the question, do you think God was tired? I don't think God got tired after six days of creating. I don't think, I don't think he was any more exhausted than he was uh, before day one. God spoke and it was done. He commanded and stood fast. God doesn't get tired. Amen? But he rested not because he was tired. He rested because he's not a workaholic. He rested because there's benefit in taking time to reflect, taking time to enjoy the results of our labors, the last six days of labor. And we are created in God's image. If God took time to enjoy what he had done the previous six days, don't you think it'd be good for us to also? If God found it profitable to rest, we should too. Human nature is to forget rest. You know, um, we're, we're just forgetful people. Um, we can get tired. We can forget to rest. And most of us, thankfully, God made us with this uh, rhythm in our bodies, you know, so that we sort of get tired when we're supposed to get tired. Um, however, if you travel enough, I'll tell you from personal experience, you'll get tired enough. You'll tr- if you travel enough, your whole circadian rhythm will get so confused you don't know when it's time to rest. And you might forget to rest. Or some of us forget to eat. I have that problem. Food is not really important to me. Um, not that I don't enjoy food, but I can go, and some point during the day, it's evening, and I'm thinking, I didn't eat. Like, I just forget. 
Um, we're forgetful people. But God knows, and He says, remember. To our way of thinking, trying to fit ten days of work into seven makes sense. To our way of thinking, that would bring success. But God knows who we are, and He knows what will make us successful. And He says, remember the Sabbath. Remember to rest. Remembering to rest. Remembering to keep the Sabbath holy. So foreign to our human natural way of thinking. So foreign, in fact, that the only ones who will do it is those who choose to obey God's instructions. Not very many other people do it unless we simply obey what God has said. You don't have to believe. You don't have to rest because you're forced to. You don't have to rest because science tells you that the seventh day is the Sabbath. You rest simply because God said. And therefore, it's an exercise of faith, and it becomes a sign between God and His people. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, Moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Again, he says, Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. When you think of the, when you think of the other nine commandments, they all pretty much make sense, don't they? We can use scientific, sociological reasonings to explain why you shouldn't murder, commit adultery, steal, etc., right? But there's only one that, by obeying, we are, we, are, we are recognizing God's authority. It's the same as in the Garden of Eden. Think, think about it. Why couldn't Eve eat of that, gar- eat of that tree? Why couldn't they? Was it because it was a poisonous tree? Was there anything wrong with that tree? Why could they not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Or should they not? Simply because God said. And do you realize that in a similar way, there's only one reason why we would keep the seventh day? No science tells us any reasons. Simply because God said it. And if God said it, I'm willing to obey it. And so what is it blessed for? It's blessed for a holy use. It's blessed for resting. It's blessed for remembering. The Sabbath reminds us who we are and where we came from. It reminds us that we serve a loving God who created the world in six days and rested on the Sabbath. And if we want to learn more about what the Sabbath was made for, all we need to do is look at what Jesus, the creator of the Sabbath, did on the Sabbath day. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, He came to Nazareth where He'd been brought up. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So what was Jesus doing on the Sabbath? He went to the synagogue, right? And he was participating in the worship service, a collective worship service. Now, some people say, well, you know, but my church, you know, today, my church is full of hypocrites. I don't want to go there because the church is full of hypocrites. Listen, I don't think that Jesus went to the church in Nazareth, the synagogue in Nazareth, because it was full of perfect believers in God. Okay? I don't believe that. But Jesus gave us an example of on the Sabbath day going and fellowshipping with God's people. Amen? 
That's the example that he gave to us. And so evidently, the Sabbath is also a blessed time for fellowshipping with those of like faith. Blessed for worshiping God corporately with the church of God. And, and beloved, I've said this and I'll say it again. God did not design that we were to be saved as individuals. Yes, we are salvation as an individual matter. But God puts us in a family, the family of God, in order that we might be saved. You might say, well, they're annoying. That's the point. The point is we need each other to be saved. We need need to learn to forgive as we've been forgiven. We need to have grace for one another as we've been treated with grace. This is for our own salvation. Community is a part of God's plan to save us. Oh, I I just can't underscore that enough. You see, it wasn't just for Jesus' own blessing that he went to church. He went to be a blessing too. He stood up to read. He took part. He participated. You see, worshiping in a church isn't about me. And it's not about the other church members. It's about Jesus. And I come to church, yes, because I'm a part of a corporate body. But I come to church because Jesus, Jesus is a part of what that experience is all about. It's about me and Jesus. Jesus is my example. And I come to worship Him. The Bible also says... And Jesus makes this very clear in his life. It is lawful to do what? To do good on the Sabbath days. The Bible records many, many times in Jesus' ministry where he was active in doing works of healing and works of of helping on the Sabbath day. And so what are these blessed hours blessed for? They are blessed for a holy use. They're blessed for rest. They're blessed for remembering. They're blessed for worshiping. And they're blessed for helping others. This is the example that Jesus gave us. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, to help. And and you will find, not only will the others be blessed, but you will be blessed as well. You'll be blessed. God wants us to be the most prosperous, blessed people on the face of the earth. Doesn't, Doesn't mean you have to have the most money, but the most blessed. Amen? He wants us to have these experiences. You can't quantify with the things of this world. Because they're eternal experiences. They're spiritual experiences. It's it's a treasure that is being laid up in heaven for eternity. Oh, God wants us to have these blessings. The Sabbath was not just made for Jesus. It was not just made for the Jews. It was not just made for a specific period of time. The Bible was made for man. And it continues. We see it being given at the creation and continuing on down all the way through the final days and even into the new world. Isaiah 66 verse 22 says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your seed and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. You see, my friends, the Sabbath is God's gift to the human race, not just during this time in which we are fallen and dealing with the sin problem, but for all of time, all of eternity. It was given as a gift before sin entered, and it, was, it will be still a gift for us after the end of sin. Jesus made it clear that he expected the Sabbath still to be kept by his own disciples after his death. He says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or when? On the Sabbath. Now, that means he expected 40 years later, he expected his disciples still to be wanting to be blessed on the Sabbath day. 
And you can run for your life on the Sabbath, and I'm sure there are some people who did and would have to. But the Sabbath isn't particularly blessed for that purpose, is it? It's blessed for spending time resting, remembering, holy uses, family, doing good, etc. And so we look in the early church history and we notice that they too were blessed by the Sabbath. I'll just give you this one instance. We can find over 80 instances, eight zero instances in the book of Acts when the believers were worshiping on the Sabbath. It says in verse, uh, chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, "...they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went into them, and, re- and three days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures." Now, some have said, Chester, of course Paul went onto the synagogue. That's where the Jews would be. And that's a good point. The Jews were obviously still keeping the Sabbath. But notice what happened. Afterwards, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And um, this is not the Jews, this is the Gentiles, right? And so you might think, according to some who believe the Sabbath was just for the Jews, you might think that Paul would say to the Gentiles, okay, you don't have to wait until next Sabbath. Why don't you just come tomorrow, right? We'll have our service tomorrow and we can, we can, we can worship together. But notice what he told the Gentiles. Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, said to them, um, he invited them to come back, and it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of the Lord. Wouldn't you like to see that happen? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, well, you know, to be honest with you, I don't care what day of the week it was. I just wish the whole city would get get together to hear the word of the Lord. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If, um, If we had that kind of interest in spiritual things in Dalton in 2013, um, I, wish, I wish it were, but I'm thankful there's so many who do want to gather together to hear the word of the Lord. So we find this golden thread, as it were, from Genesis to Revelation, the Sabbath as God's gift to mankind, and it's especially called out as a message for the last days, for a busy planet at the end of time. Remember, in Revelation 14, verse 7, fear God, give glory to Him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and do what? And worship him who made. John the Revelator quotes, almost verbatim, the fourth commandment here. The remember commandment, the Sabbath commandment. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And so the Sabbath is a special time for us to remember our Creator. To remember the one that loves us and to use the hours that He is blessed for the purpose they were blessed for. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that God cares about our time, God cares about our energy, God cares about our efficiency? And He says, these are special hours that are blessed. You can get more out of doing these things on the Sabbath than you will get out of them any other day. I'm thankful for that. The Bible records that at the end of time there will be those who, who discover this joy, this blessing, and it describes them as having the patience of the saints. It says, here, are they, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'm thankful. I want to be a part of that group of people, don't you? I want to be blessed. I want to use the best time management uh, principles I can I want to have all the blessings that God wants to give me. So to a restless, chaotic, frenetic world, Jesus is saying today, I know what you need. You need time. 
and I'll give you time. I'll give you time especially blessed for the very things you're missing. Family, worship, rest, helping others. I'll give you that time. Isn't it wonderful to be able to take that from him today? To trust him with that? To be blessed by that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, today I'm just so thankful for what you've given us in this immeasurable gift. We can't quantify it. We can't put a value on it. Lord, everything you made was wonderful. We, we're, we're awestruck by your creation, by what you made on the other six days. We're just amazed as we see the beauty and the, the, so many gifts. But Lord, the one gift of immense value, 24 hours every single week, ever since the creation and the foundation of the world, what are those hours worth? Lord, you loved us so much that you gave us those hours and you blessed them and you set them aside for a holy use, for worshiping, for fellowshipping, for resting, for helping one another, for family. Lord, these are the things, the very things that are missing in our society. Help us to share the good news of the blessing of rest that you've given to us. Help us to enter into your rest as we surrender our hearts and our lives to you, as we trust your blood and your grace to save us from our sins. Help us to find the more abundant life that you've come to offer us as we rest in you. Thank you that we can rest the Sabbath. We can cease from our labors, not just physically, but spiritually too. We don't have to try to earn anything, Lord. It's just, it's just you. It's just your love, just your grace. Help us to have that rest. I pray for each home here, each family, each person. Lord, we're busy. They're busy. You know, I don't even know their schedules like you do. But you know the gift that they need. And I pray that they'll find it in you. Bless us this week that we might be your people. We might love as you would love and live as you would live. That others might see Jesus in us. We pray in his name. Amen.